many lemonades have you had? My name is Matthew Kroll. And you don't want any part of this. My name is Shahir Dow. And this is the only podcast about movies, specifically the film Spider-Man Far From Home. How many times have you seen this? Uh, twice. You've seen this twice already. It it's came on, out Wednesday. It came out on Wednesday. We're, We're recording, recording this on Friday. Friday. Wow. <laughs> How is that possible? How did you see it twice? Uh, so I went uh, opening morning, right? Because uh, I didn't know when I'd get to see it. And right. uh, one of the perks of making your own schedule, as you know, sometimes yeah. is uh, you could go see movies whenever you want. Uh, the bad news is, then the work is still waiting for you when you get home. Yeah, exactly. Uh, so I did that just to be safe. Uh, but then uh, we were at a Fourth of July celebration last night that was kind of wrapping up around ten or eleven, and or around ten. And the people I was with, uh, Jamie and some friends, Sammy and Joe, all really wanted to see it. Um, and I, and then they were like, do you want to go now? And I was like, I guess. <laughs> so we had like the most quintessential American Wait, experience. But you were also texting me about like trying to go see Midsummer because at the same time. It, no, no, we were trying to, we're seeing that Sunday. Right, right. Yeah. <laughs> um, but that's how it came up. And then like people said they wanted to see Spider-Man more. Because weren't you also texting me to say, we should go, can you go see Midsummer tonight? Because that was, a, that was a thing. So, so, so originally. What would, what, what, if I'd said yes, would you have said no to Spider-Man? We, yeah, we would have gone to see Midsummer. Okay. All yeah. Right. I'm just checking, I'm just checking that you wouldn't have sent me to Midsummer and and then gone to see no, Spider-Man. I'm not a monster. I mean, sometimes. I mean, I'm sometimes a monster. <laughs> so I've seen it twice. I've seen it literally, what, six, uh, I, I walked out of the theater <laughs> five hours ago and we're recording this at 9.40 a.m. Oh, wow. Well, then you should have some interesting things to say about it because I've only seen it the one time. Um, <laughs> really? But, Wait, you didn't see it twice? No, I didn't see it twice, no. Uh, and uh, there'll be good reason for that. Ah. Um, but uh, if you've seen it more than once... Why would you? Uh, email us in at onlymoviepodcast at gmail.com. We've already got some tweets from it. I believe, Matt, you sent out you sent out the uh, the spider signal, I guess. I, I, sure. Uh, Any excuse to use me as a gif in a spider this suit. This is the thing. I Because I, I, I just skimmed past that. Uh, so so for those listening in, uh, Matt tweeted after he'd seen the movie. You know, like, uh, if you have your thoughts and comments, please tweet us back at onlymoviepodcast at gmail. Uh, yeah. Hit us back at onlymoviepodcast at gmail.com or tweet us at onlymoviepod. But you, I, I looked at the image and I was like, oh, it's a Spider-Man just jumping off a bench. And then I like it was like a day later that I, that it like I was walking down the street literally and I was like wait a minute that was Matt did he just gif himself I did you meme are you are you memeing yourself I gave the gift of gifts of me okay uh it, no I have so well, I shot a Halloween thing for uh, extra credits all over the city in a Spider Man suit um this was year of oh, this Halloween okay. yeah that wasn't like. No, this ago. was this is thing, and uh, I went to Central Park. I went to Times Square. Did a bunch of stuff, and uh, I have a lot of really great, like, <laughs> fun moments that happened during that. So I just turned them into gifts. Okay. Um. But yeah. Uh. Yeah. No. Do you want me to? Well, actually, uh, let's let's read some other emails yeah. uh, responding to Toy Story because we have a little bit of a Toy Story. Uh, Cl- cleanup, I guess we have to do. Uh, first up is uh, Stephen with uh, uh, comments about punching up. That is true. Uh, this this doesn't have to do with Toy Story, right? Am I wrong? Uh, well, this came into our conversation about. Uh, oh, wh- and I see. Okay, yeah. so Stephen writes: re punching up versus punching down. That's been a nice buzzword of ours: punching up and punching down. Lately, I, like I, like I said, we didn't come up with that. Uh, but no, but we did. No, no, no we no, totally no. did. No, no, no. Thank you, did. everyone, for calling out this great phrase that <laughs> we just made. Uh, it's something that comes up a bit, but I feel like you might. Times be confusing punching up with pile on, which mm-hmm. I, I actually I really like this sort of sentiment. Okay, uh, i.e., CinemaSins has many subscribers, so while it may seem for you with uh, fewer subscribers uh, to attack it as punching up, but if you were doing so as part of a mass group pile on, 
then it has the same cosmetic issues of punching down. Might be a cheap laugh, but can also be seen as some bullying. Uh, all of that uh, to Stephen, he says, is irrelevant because the only movie pods in our case, uh, we always take the time to explain our thoughts and processes behind what we're saying. And uh, he says he can't think of a single instance where either of us has intentionally said something mean-spirited just to grab a cheap laugh. Context is everything. Well, hold on to your butts. Let's see how this episode Yeah, goes. I was going to say, I, I appreciate the, um, what's the word, the faith? And, yeah, the, yeah. And the 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 belief in us, Stephen. But just give it time. There's a there's a great <laughs> book uh, uh, about uh, so you've been bullied on Twitter. Uh, I believe it's called by Ron Johnson. And I've been listening to a lot of podcasts by Ron Johnson who talks about pylons uh, or internet pylons and the and the and the the conceit of like uh, internet bullying. You must construct additional pylons. Oh, there you go. There you go. <laughs> um, ah! Yeah, I see what you did there. <laughs> uh, I think it's fascinating. He's got a, a, a great podcast called uh, The Last Days of August. Uh, which is about the death of uh, uh, an adult film star by the name of uh, August. Uh, I want to say August Ames, but I might okay. be I might be wrong about that. It's really fascinating. It's really interesting. Um, I don't think yes. I don't think we're. I think our, our sentiment there is that we are the lowest rung in the in the podcast. No, in the movie community, I would say. I've always said we were Z list. I'm going to move us up to Y list. Oh, really? Uh, I think we're doing uh, good enough and we have enough. I mean, mm -hmm. we, we interact with a lot of you fine people all week and it's very, very lovely. Mm -hmm. And the fact that we actually have people that listen to us and that we can chat with, mm -hmm. I think that moves us to Y tier. Okay. Um, we got, we got a little, what, 24 so, more places to go? Yeah. So the <laughs> only the only way we can punch down in the traditional sense and not the way that Stephen mm -hmm. just eloquently laid out would be if like it was we were punching down on uh, like if we were saying like accusatory things toward a uh, media source that had not started to exist yet. Okay, <laughs> okay, that's that's fair. Uh, but uh, in that uh, in that sentiment, I'm just going to read out the next two tweets, uh, which it, which is actually one of a series of tweets that we got and emails because we made an error in our Toy Story judgment last week. Uh, what? Uh, during our Toy Story four review, we talked extensively about where does the Toy Story franchise move from this point forward, and I. Posited, and you agreed with me that the only place to move forward would be uh, a toy human interaction um, that uh, that explored the the origins of that of of the mystique of toys. Right. Where and everyone piled on uh, uh, quite quite uh, accurately that this has actually happened in the Toy Story universe in the first film. Uh, Baby Dread points out that never thought uh, uh, off topic. You guys also talked about how toys have never interacted with humans, but that happened near the end of the first movie. And our friend the Blade, you gents are going to receive quite a few messages about this. We sure did. Uh, <laughs> but the toys are able to directly interact with humanity. It happens in the first movie when they pull uh, a scared straight routine on Sid, the neighbor from next door. Uh, and I went back and watched that scene. And what's funny is I had actually just rewatched Toy Story you didn't One remember. with with my son, but I just didn't even re remember that scene. I'm gonna I'm gonna um, poorly logic my, or my way around no, our mistake. We no, wrong. no, it's gonna be we really fun. It's gonna be really fun. Ready? No, no, uh, we were wrong. No, no, we weren't because here's why. Uh, no, wait, I got this. Okay, so maybe they can only interact with people that. Uh, that will eventually cause something else direct harm. <laughs> no, no, because 
I got nothing. It's funny. It's funny because I, I watched the scene and I was like ever so hopeful because there's a mo- basically the only way that um, Woody is interacting with Sid is through his voice box. So he's basically changing the 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 words that are coming out of his voice box, but it still needs a string to be pulled, kind of thing. Um, but at the very very end of it. He like turns to Sid and says, "Now play nice in this sort of menacing way, so he can actually talk to him." I think, and and look, we maybe did... Sid was high. <laughs> Sid was nine. Or I don't, <laughs> listen, I don't know what what uh what what he was huffing. He was he was ripping toys apart. Um, but I I think we did try to posit the idea that, that this would be a broader extension of where the universe could go. And I but I I guess where we were wrong is I think it was something you said where you 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 like to you posited the idea that toys could. Could not physically interact. With I was Arthur. trying to piece it together in yeah, that way. Yeah, yeah. but we so we were completely one hundred percent wrong about that. You know, thank what's you everyone for yes. e- emailing and tweeting. Then we are uh, absolutely deserved that shellac. Uh, the interesting thing about it too, then, then that means that all, out of all the toys in the Toy Story universe, mm-hmm. right? I mean, we don't know every story, but since people haven't realized that toys can talk, yeah, um, that means they're all so good at this. Like, yeah, where did they where did they get their training? You'd think that there'd be way more. I mean, fuck ups because there's. I mean, there's probably more toys than humans on the planet. I think it also comes down to like um, most people don't think about toys in that way. Like, so one of the the, the running gags that I've always seen in the in the Toy Story movies is that um, the toys will move around randomly. You know, like uh, in Toy Story Four. The Woody and Forky end up outside the truck for no apparent reason, yeah. and the parents don't question this because they're just like, "Oh, the toys get thrown around." So, so I think Are they this- also have that sort of like veil of deception or veil of ignorance that comes with them because nobody gives a shit about. One hundred percent agree. I do think it's interesting though. It's just the sheer math of it. Like, yeah. if you really wanted to break it down, so like, there's probably let's say there's twice as many toys in the planet as children. Right. I, I bet you there's more. Yeah. So even let's take adults out of the mathematical equation. <laughs> that means that. And, and children and, and adults or whoever, you know, mess up all the time, be it socially <laughs> awkward things, doing bad stuff, doing inappropriate things. <laughs> so you'd think that there would be a number of toys messing up enough where humans would start to get like and I guess like kids would be like, Mom, my my doll talked like yeah. that would probably not fly. So maybe it's just maybe you are right in the sense that like it's just a like for the amount of times that toys fuck up. More adults don't pay attention. Yeah, and I think uh, if you looked at, uh, uh, I guess this is a thing in the Toy Story universe, and it happened in the Finding Dory universe, which is that uh, it's a universe. Well, it's a thing, okay. you know. Uh, which is that both sets of species, toys and fish, started driving cars, and I was, and like causing mass <laughs> chaos on the roads. And I would love, I would love to see the crossover. Where like a toy, a, a car, a toy driving cars and fish driving cars kind of interact with each other, and it would just be this world-breaking moment for human beings. I'll do you one better: cars driving cars because cars. Well, cars. I mean, dri- yeah, 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 yeah. See, like, what if, like, this is the thing, and I, I often like the cars universe is obviously weird because, like, that's like it's like a it's human po- car a post- hybrid. No, it's also a post-human hybrid. Yeah, yeah. Post-human event. It's but like the interesting thing is, I'd be wondering if the cars became sentient in the same way that toys did, just almost with the sheer power of belief. If that's the way, because like I, you do, I always found the cars universe the most disturbing. Oh, of for course. That but the interesting thing is, like, I mean, I had a car for a long time. I named it Sheila. I, I you know, you know, every yeah. once in a while, you, you say hi, you pet it on the dash, you mm-hmm. do whatever, because you know I'm a psychopath. But mm-hmm. the, but then you know, in, in that regard. It's the same energy, uh, the same chaos magic I'm putting forth towards a car that, that I would have as a toy as a kid. So is that how the cars came to be? Mm. We don't know. I mean, I Pixar. would say I, 
You stop being cowards and you answer our questions. <laughs> oh my god! Imagine, yeah, like if all the Pixar universe is a single singular universe. I mean, they all have Pizza Planet. They do have Pizza Planet. Pizza Planet. Do you think Pizza Planet is like the Pizza Gate? The puppeteer. Oh, oh God, the, no, the pizza no, gate no. Of of. Oh no, that's no, creepy. Why would you? We're gonna get into that because uh, I think Spider Man's gonna get into some conspiracy theories. Uh, before we get into our Spider Man tweets, I just wanted to do uh, two quick recommendations. Normally, I have I reserve recommendations at the end, but these are two very very short pieces that I saw this week that I just thought were so great that you uh, had to interrupt our viewer section to yeah. do this in the middle of it. Well, I'm, I'm kind of uh, guiding our viewers uh, <laughs> towards these. One is the unauthorized Bash Brothers experience from the. Lonely Island on Netflix, uh, directed by Mike Diva and Akiva Schaefer. If you love Popstar, and we did, Popstar ended up on our Indeed. top ten list uh, for that year, and I think is being uh, is having a, a sort of a moment on Twitter at, uh, uh, for the last year. Uh, please see the unauthorized Bash Brothers experience, which is just bonkers. It's basically um, the Lonely Island replaying. Uh, I believe it's uh, Jose Canseco and um, uh, I, I can't remember the other player's name. A uh, Mike, uh, Mark, Mark Warren. I, I don't know. I don't know sure. enough about baseball, but this thing is bananas. It's so incredibly directed. It's it's basically an extension of the pop star idea. The par- you know, and and basically what Lonely Island have been doing for a while, um, but turned up to eleven. Oh. Uh, and it's and it's phenomenal. Uh, I, I watched that. It had my mind blown. The other one is Anima, Anima from P. T. Anderson, which is the uh, oh the fifteen minute film. Fifteen minute film. Uh, the uh, unauthorized Bash Brothers is only thirty minutes. Um, uh, Anima is only fifteen. minutes. It's a music video for uh, Tom York's solo project. Uh, absolutely beautiful. Shot on the RE65. Incredible choreography. Uh, it's kind of like uh, Buster Keaton meets Metropolis or something like that. Yeah. Um, it, it just all pointed to me the idea that Netflix might be the home for music videos from now on. Um, I for, mean, larger for scale. Larger maybe. scale music videos, which I think is kind of cool. Uh, I, I haven't seen something like Anima since, um, you know, the days of when Michael Jackson and, and Will Smith used to do those big sort of tentpole music videos. I feel like Netflix is the natural place for anything that's like short film length or like music and stuff like that because like even you know it's interesting. Um, a lot of I, I think the average view time at this point, like the sweet spot, and, and write us in only movie podcast at gmail.com if you know the answer to this more than I do because it would be helpful. Uh, I think the actual and it fluctuates sweet spot of timing on like YouTube is around ten minutes. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's not for viewer retention. That's just for the maximum amount that the algorithm will shoot your st- your thing around. Yeah. Um, which there's many many factors. Uh, um, the but but now I I wonder like the, I've seen like short form series now even like smaller stuff like uh, like mid tier or low tier animes and things like that on Netflix that are only like you know 17 minutes or thir- 12 minutes long. Like I like the option of having bite sized stuff on Netflix. It just does make sense. Well, your world is about to change. Have you heard about Quibi? No. So Quibi is Jeffrey Katzenberg's company, which is going to be launching fairly shortly. Quibi is a, a, a massive platform designed only for short-form content uh, in the sort of 10 to 15-minute mark. Um, and they've signed some fairly big-name talent onto it, most notably Steven so- the, the two Stevens, uh, yes. uh, Steven Soderbergh and Steven Spielberg. Um, and again, the, the content is meant to be only 10 to 15 minutes long. Uh, Spielberg is doing an interesting thing, which is that he has got... Uh, he is launching a horror series, and I think Spielberg is like kind of an interesting filmmaker in that he's he's always been a horror filmmaker that's never quite made a horror movie uh, a horror piece um so or, and 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 out and out horror fi- sure. you know film um so he's launching a horror series which the hook is it's only available to watch between midnight and 4 a.m. 
and then it disappears, <laughs> which I think is really cool. Oh, that's dope. Yeah. That's dope. That's dope. Does, that, does it play into the narrative, or is it just sort of like... Don't know. It hasn't launched know. yet. So that, um, that is the conceit. Uh, Quibi is coming out uh, shortly. I've been taking, um, I guess, a lot of conversations about Quibi right I now. Like, right? Well, well, also, the, the you know, I, you know not, to, not to dredge up some, some old bleasness, <laughs> uh, but I do remember one Steven Spielberg, and I know he was talking about feature films and theater-going mm, experiences, but yeah. there was a lot of detraction from streaming services. Then he's involved with other streaming services that's so interesting yeah again i i kind of posit on the side of uh caution there i think you know he was probably taken out of context but his his conversation around streaming services was had to do with whether they should be nominated for academy awards i agree it's not a good look I, and i'm not saying this is a steven spielberg problem i'm yeah. saying this is a sort of old guard problem of yeah. sort of the old man yelling at cloud thing until money comes and they're like i love the cloud i i think i i i yeah i i I don't think it was quite that. And but also, it, to be fair, if someone threw me a bunch of money to go do a platform that I had previously like, like what have I shit on before? What's a platform I've shit on? I don't know. If we go back and listen, and yeah, they're like, two hundred hey, episodes do, of it. Do you want? Do you want? Uh, <laughs> do you want five hundred thousand dollars to make a thing for this platform you hate? And I'd be like, as long as it wasn't like a moral decision, mm. as far as like uh, what the what the platform stood for, uh, then I'd be like, yeah, I think I would. All right, moving on to Spider-Man: Far From Home. You tweeted out uh, to to our listeners about uh, about uh, their response to the movie. It's only been out for a few days. You've seen it twice in that period, I so have. you've got some opinions. What are other people's opinions who've uh, tweeted us at Only Movie Pod? The other people have said. Uh, I just I wanted like a one sentence thing. Uh -huh. um, so. Uh, Plyfall says, flawed and confused, but un ultimately emotive and joyous. Thank you for that. Uh, Karina says, I really don't like Brad and Austria. Okay. <laughs> I was like, what? And I'm trying to piece together. Uh, Karina, if you're listening to this, uh, <laughs> just a section in Austria. Was there a section in Austria? There was a... There's a section in Austria. Uh, and was Brad the... Um, the, 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 the No, the blip. The blip kid, the kid who was going after him. Oh, yeah, 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 blip kid. Uh, official 2020 Gamer writes, delightful to watch, plenty of amazing jokes, plus, in my opinion, great return to form on Marvel movies with two pretty important end credit scenes that totally could have been in the movie. Okay. Return to form. Yeah, I, I, I know. I'm interested in that. Yeah. And then uh, 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 Shayna writes, uh, my favorite part is Edith. And I, mm. once we get there, uh, well, yeah, parts of that are very, very true. So thank you, everybody, for, uh, you know, but placating me, uh, gifting myself uh, yeah. to get some to get some responses. Okay, Matt, uh, we ha are in an interesting place right now where I think we're getting a, a new Marvel movie almost every couple of months at this point. I think the only one I haven't seen is Captain Marvel. Um, uh, this is the for the w w this is the one two. I think twenty. This is the twenty third, but the third this year. Third. Third. This is the third Marvel movie we've done this year in no, July. Yeah. No. Oh. In Infinity War, Endgame, and this. I know you did Captain Marvel as well. Oh, there's Captain Marvel, then this. No, sorry. So uh, Endgame was this year. Captain yeah. Marvel wasn't this year. Yeah, it was because it was a while I was away, which was this year. Oh, was it? Yeah. Okay, so I guess this is the third. <laughs> this one. is actually the fourth. In the, in one year, no. Yeah, no, no, you're right. It's the third because I, I'm counting in, in game and infinity. Yeah, but that was the end. Yeah. That was a that was a they yeah. were a year apart. Yeah. So this is the third movie this year, and we're in July already. So and I wonder if that's possible because it's a Sony collabo. Like we don't normally get three; we normally get two. And is there any other plan for the later this year? Uh, for Marvel stuff, I don't believe so. Hmm. I think it's done for the year, and oh. I could be wrong. Okay. Um, 
But uh, you know, there's so few <laughs> there's so few surprises left in this universe for me. I tend to like not hunt for release dates. Okay. Um, I do know that you know the Black Widow movie's coming. Oh yeah, the Black uh, Widow movie's shooting right now. Yep. Yeah, uh, I know that uh, obviously Black Panther two. Guardians 3 is back on track, but it's not going to be done until like 2021. And there's a new Mutants movie coming as well. Yeah. Uh, but that's going to, that actually, is that a, se- no, that's a series though, right? Uh, no, I, I think they might be making a film. I, uh, like, anyway, I don't know. As we've proved with that Toy Story thing, we know nothing. This section, <laughs> uh, entitled Matt and Sheer Kind of Know Stuff, is completed. Um, <laughs> but the, yeah, I, uh, I was very excited for this film, not only because it's a Spider-Man and that's my, uh, you know, uh, spirit character, but, uh, I think that it, uh, two things. One, it did something sort of interesting and fun with the character. And that, by that, I mean, just the sort of premise of like going on a school trip and having the trouble sort of follow. Mm -hmm. Uh, and there's some interesting narrative machinations that sort of make that make enough sense. Then there's also, uh, the fact that it's the first end game post film Mm -hmm. or reverse those words. You get what I'm saying? So, uh, you know, everyone's back from what I used to call the snapping. Now this film has called the blip, Mm -hmm. um, Better in-game name. I just like you know the snapping or the 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 you know it's, it sounds more terrifying. But uh, yeah, so uh, I was very interested to see how the MCU handled that. Okay, and uh, I you know we'll get into it in a second. I liked that overall. Um, I did see it twice uh, in a very short amount of time, which does give me a, a weird sort of. Uh, I haven't done that in a long time. Mm-hmm. Uh, I waited like a week before I saw Endgame a second time. And uh, you know, you know what's interesting, and I, I don't know if this is for you as well, Sheer. Do you have you had experiences where, like, you watch a film, and then you're like, okay, I liked these parts, and I didn't particularly like these parts, and then you go see it a second time, and then some of those parts switch. Yep, yep, yep. That absolutely happens. I think also what happens uh, when you watch a narrative a couple of times is that your expectations change. So when you know where the film is going, what you can do is focus in on details that you hadn't. Be, you know, you can basically allow your mind yeah. to roam a little bit more, um, which is why details, you know, things that you like and appreciate, change over time. Yeah. Um, it's it, you know, again, going back to film school, it's one of the things we sort of talk about is like watching a movie many times. And there's a food critic who I really, really love, uh, whose name I can't remember, which means I must have not have loved them that much. You just you <laughs> really like them. Yeah, I really like them. Who who had this thing, which was that he would not review uh, a restaurant until he ate there at least four times. I mean, that makes sense. Yeah. I will give any series on 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 television or streaming service three episodes. That, I, like, that's not quite the same though because he's you're, no you're, you're right you're right but then again is he eating the same dish four times no he's basically giving the restaurant experience okay so four. then then my then my my series analogy holds up and it, those both don't really hold up for the film analogy because you're watching the same piece of media over and over again with, with the film discussion but with the food and with the television show discussion you are getting a curated experience from that thing but different pieces of that experience but a restaurant is not a narrative experience that's supposed no to be, but you're getting supposed slightly, to be done linearly well no here's the deal a restaurant uh, with their menu, if they're doing it correctly, kind of is a narrative experience. Right, right. But you you don't have to like uh, order the same thing every time. No, order. but the menu is curated to be part of whatever the like. like I, you, I, you can't go and order sushi at a Mexican restaurant normally. Like there, there's a curation of of, of cuisine right. to give you like I'll, I don't know if the correct term is flavor palette. Just but, like you're not going to see. Here, but here's the thing: when you go to a restaurant and in one sitting you've had the full experience, right? If you watch three episodes of a show that's ten episodes long, you haven't had the full experience. It depends what you define the full experience as. <laughs> well, as completing the series. 
Oh, as, if, if you're talking about like a completionist narrative, yeah. But the, the as, I, as, as actually experiencing the thing from start to finish. And if you go to a restaurant for for one, one meal, meal, you haven't experienced the entirety of the restaurant because you haven't eaten every piece of food. Yeah, but then you can't review. His, his point is is uh. that he reviews it. Based on four times there, so give the, giving the restaurant the opportunity to serve him four different times. Yeah. Right? And he could order the same thing each time if he wanted to. He could order different things if he wanted to. I don't think the analogy that you're mentioning, which is watching three episodes uh, of, a, you know, of a series, holds up in the exact same way. It would be, to me, the analogy would be the one to one analogy is seeing a movie three times um, and then doing the review. The only thing I will uh, concede to is that then, I, I mean, I could see the hole in my logic, but it's the exact same hole in the film logic with the food analogy. How, how is that a hole? Because again, you are watching an experience, the exact same experience. Let's say four times. Let's stick with the four times analogy. Mm-hmm. In a film, if you watch a film four times, you are watching the same film four times. Right. It, nothing's changed. If you went to the restaurant and had the same meal four times? The, even that that's a little bit closer. You said he had different meals. I mean, he could have different meals. If, he could if it have... was the same meal four times, right. then I think it holds up because the only variables often, the only variables how... in that point are like quality of the theater you saw it in, the experience, the audience. Then it's versus like the serving staff of the day, <laughs> what ingredients were used that day. Is there something wrong? Like that sort of plays together, right? But how often are you expected to go to a restaurant and eat every single dish on the on the menu? You're not. You're not. You're never supposed to do that. But so, you're talking so... about cultural expectation. Yeah. I'm talking about the actual experience. That I think you're we I, I, we lit us down a rabbit hole. I love I, it. I, I had done. I love it. Write us in, onlymoviepodcast at gmail.com. Give us your best analogies that break or make any of these. Okay, so the uh, idea was that you could see a movie multiple times. You saw this movie multiple times. Uh, How was your experience different both times? Uh, The first time, I think, you know, it's obviously, the Marvel stuff is pretty uh, easy to do this sort of first and second time game where the first time is the hype and like the sort of, um, uh, the the mystery sort of unraveling of things. Mm -hmm. This one in particular, which I guess, uh, we should probably wait another five or ten minutes before we get into any heavy spoilers. There's a really interesting discussion about spoilers for this film Mm -hmm. because, uh, you know, one of the spoily things is a thing that has been consistent in comic books for <laughs> fucking since the seventies or eighties. Know anything about Mysterio? You know what we're talking. Yeah. About. So, so, so we, but we will vow not to spoil any major plot point uh, for the next five to ten minutes. Yeah. And then, and then we will. And then we're just going to rip it. Yeah, we're going to rip into uh, it. But the, you know, it's interesting. Uh, case in point, there's a very, and this is, I guess, this is a spoiler for the. Oh God, I can't even get into it without spoilers. The things that I like, liked and didn't like that changed. There's a piece in the beginning. In the very beginning, after the Marvel title hits, mm-hmm. that I literally got super worried about the film after it started in a certain way. Uh, I'm, I'm not sure what you're talking about. So, and, and uh, I, I, do we just look, start look, spoilers? Look, tell now? me, tell me what you. I, I haven't heard what you think of the film. Uh, I think it's super fun. I think it's it. They are slowly but surely getting what a Spider-Man experience should be. Uh, down for me personally. Uh, the the downsides to that is to make it all fit in and to make it all sort of make sense in the MCU, they have turned Spider-Man, and this is a true thing in the comic books at certain points in Peter Parker's life, they've turned him into a very high-tech hero. Mm-hmm. And I think that does actually make more sense from a from if you're making a, a, a multi-film spanning narrative, like to have like why this kid, you know, he's a genius, but he cannot like why he can do what he can do and like he has like tech and gadgets which spider-man has always had but like here it's part of the peter parker narrative where he's kind of has due to the fact that um that you know tony stark took him under his wing uh he has near limitless resources Mm -hmm. even when he's stripped of his resources he still has near limitless resources right um so so that does undercut 
part of what I think the Peter Parker experience is, but I also, due to the way the film sort of ends and how I think where it's going, I really believe that they're going to like tackle that the next time. Mm-hmm. Um, so I uh, overall, I really dug it. There's definitely structure and 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 um, not story pacing, but individual line pacing or individual like like small actions. I don't know exactly how to describe it that like threw me mm-hmm. a lot. And I, I dubbed it, you know, maybe this is my fanboy showing, but I dubbed it as sort of like the Sony factor. Like mm-hmm. the things that bugged me, I was like, this feels like like a bad like a like a, a cheesy thing from the same producers that brought me a lot of other like cheesy things that are, like normally don't happen in Marvel. Films. Have you got an example? Because that's a that's a really strange attrib- strange attribution. Uh, like for instance, uh, there's a scene. Uh, this isn't too much spoilery, but Spider Man's trying to stop something from falling down, and there's a bell in it. Yeah, and he webs and he tries to grab it, and it pulls him forward. And he smacks his head on the bell, and the first time you're like, "Oh man, that looks like it hurt." Yeah. And then he gets up, and in a very sort of what's supposed to be a tenseish moment, I guess, he gets up and does it again, and it it pulls him forward. And he smacks his head on the other part of the bell, and it it was so slapsticky, mm-hmm. like more slapsticky than anything else in like the first Spider Man. Far, uh, homecoming more so than uh, anything like even like Thor and Ragnarok and Guardians like have funny moments but I don't think they ever sort of go into slapstick uh, in, in, a, in an attempt, I can like, think of one right now. What is it? That's where uh, Thor throws the uh, ball uh, through you know attempting to break the window and it bounces back and hits him in the head and he falls over. It's in it's a, it's when he's oh, trying yes, to Oh yes, when he's trying to escape. Yeah, it's I mean that kind of reminds me of that. I well, think, I me, think let what me you, put we, it this way. Let yeah. me put it this way. It was sloppy slapstick. Like mm-hmm. that to me, for whatever reason, the way they mm-hmm. put that scene together in Thor, that felt like a natural extension of the scene and the characters of what was going on. It wasn't in a incredibly tense moment. It wasn't made to uh like I it just there was a lot of moments in this, like I think when it dipped into stuff like this in the action where I felt like the timing of it was off or the um or the amount of it was off. Mm-hmm. Whereas I think in Thor, and, and this might be just a, a, a another praise to Taiko Watiti, uh, that he knows how to do that. He knows how to integrate it, and he knows how to put that into scenes where it belongs. Uh, so a lot of the stuff I had problems with were sort of minor pace-breaking things mm-hmm. uh, for me, but I had a really good time. Um, I, you know, and I know we've been joking around like me seeing it twice, et cetera, et cetera. Like, uh, I, you know, if my friends hadn't wanted to go last night, I wouldn't have rushed out to go see it again. Mm-hmm. I, I really enjoyed it, but it's not something where I was like, I need to see this again right now. Uh, so, yeah, I mean, that's pretty much where I, was. I, I had a really good time with it. There's 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 issues. Mm-hmm. What about you, buddy? Um, So if we look back at our sort of narrative trajectory about Spider-Man uh, or even just, I guess, broad topics, the, the MCU universe, I think my issue is that Spider-Man as a character has been rebooted three times at this point. Um, this is the third iteration in the live action series. Um, you know, the first being uh, Sam Raimi's, the second being the Mark Webb, uh, and the this third being uh, helmed by John Watts and, and featuring Tom Holland. My issue around that, if you recall from our Far From Home, uh, uh, our Homecoming episode, was that uh, I just didn't know why we needed to do this again. Um, and the thing that really made me happy was Into the Spider-Verse. You know, mm-hmm. uh, Into the Spider-Verse, I felt, was like a, uh, a really big step forward, and I was really excited by that. Um, and I felt, uh, while I did actually kind of enjoy Homecoming, I think uh, Homecoming was a really good reboot of the character. Uh, that was my biggest thing, was was just feeling that it was sort of unnecessary uh, and more of a more of a, um, a case of creating it in order to, to fuel into the larger Marvel Cinematic Universe. I, I mean, I guess that define. I mean, the, the interesting word there for me is necessary. Mm-hmm. Like, uh, 
the, I, I mean, we could go down into an incredible rabbit hole that I don't really want to with that, but like, uh, let's put it this way. I think fans of the MCU wanted to see Spider-Man integrated for a very long time. Okay. In, the, in that case, I think it is necessary. In that case, if you are someone whom isn't engaged or isn't actively like really like giving a shit, I can see how it comes across as perfunctory. There's been three of these. We've rebooted it three times. And thank God that Homecoming didn't do the origin story again because yeah. they were at least smart enough to not do that. Um, and then in, Into the Spider-Verse, they made origin stories part of the actual art narrative and very quick and very yeah. intelligible and like, like a good way of doing it. Right. Uh, the art narrative, I mean, by... Every time they did it, one of the characters in Spider versus Origin story. It no, 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 I, I, I got that. Yeah. Uh, so yeah, I, 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 necessary is an interesting thing because then we get into like, well, then I mean, if you want to go down that rabbit hole, what, what is necessary? And and I guess my feeling about this film is that it felt uh, wholly unnecessary. But why? Like, give it give this like... this particular film felt wholly unnecessary to me. I, I felt I could have kind of not needed. I didn't need to see this film because the most interesting thing that happened at this film in this film happened in the very, almost the very, very last frame of it. Mm -hmm. um, and that was, that was sort of odd for me because I kind of watched it feeling that we are, yeah, as you said, kind of in a post Avengers in game kind of world. And what does the world look like um, in this scenario? And I think the thing, the problem for me there is that while I felt that this continued the sort of uh, smartly paced, slickly kind of created um, world that that John Watts had been able to create in the in in Spider-Man: Homecoming, the 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 movie essentially plays on two different fronts, and one is that this it is this uh, sort of um, enjoyable teen romance, yeah. you know, like teen teen angsty story kind of thing, uh, and then on the other hand, it's this sort of uh, bigger narrative about. A the, the the world left behind by the Avengers and the and the gaps that people are trying to use to fill or the, that are people are trying to fill within that world. Yep. Um. And and it it essentially creates this sort of like Avengers scale uh, event that needs to happen. Of course, you know there's 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 issues around that. But I felt that those two narratives never really came together in a way that was kind of meaningful uh, as a film experience. I really th I think they did. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Good. Um, but but I I felt that those two narratives never really came together and and never really kind of gave me anything any sense of why I needed to see this particular film e either in a broader sense of you know there's a bigger world being created or uh, or in a sense that this that what we're doing with with Peter Parker in this particular story is of interest now I think the issue there is that is something that you kind of alluded to which is that Peter Parker is ultimately becoming um, the next iteration of Iron Man in some way. That's kind of how they posited him. Um, and it kind of almost in a way felt like this was sort of oddly Iron Man 4. Um, you know, this is sort of like post post what happened in Avengers. Sure. This is the this is the the next stage of Iron Man's legacy or what have you. And I think the problem there is that e even on a sort of narrative sense, I felt that that, that kind of the world of Peter Parker and Iron Man kind of felt like two distinct worlds, and they don't quite line up in this film. And I, one of the interesting things here is that I think the problem for me is it comes down to what Mysterio wants. And, and what Mysterio wants, without giving away too many spoilers, has to do ultimately with the Iron Man narrative. And what Peter Parker wants ultimately has to do with this sort of... Uh, well, what Peter Parker wants is far more interesting when it doesn't have to do with that narrative, in my opinion. Sure, I, I think and one of the one of the key t tenets of a Spider-Man story is Spider-Man getting wrapped up in shit he wants nothing to do with. 
that, that's just it's been literally Spider-Man just wants to if Spider-Man and this is me talking about a fictional character but narratively what it seems like if Spider-Man could just keep New York City citizens safe and stop petty crime and make like his neighborhood better that's all he'd want to do but yet he gets the the interesting thing about the character to me especially when you throw him with these other characters is he's normally super outgunned he's normally in a, like he doesn't really belong there but yet he keeps getting wrapped up in it and I love I've always loved every story about Peter Parker trying to do something in his personal life and getting derailed by stupid like world ending shit uh that is it's it's a very it's a it's a core element to what the spider-man character is it's basically if you want to look at like the meaning behind it it's like when you are depending on the phases of his life high school young adult adult you have plans for your life life doesn't give a shit about your plants. Like, you you can try and you can really work towards things, but stuff's gonna come by, and then Spider-Man's sort of re re redeeming quality is, like, he always does get back up and tries to keep moving and adjusting as much as he can with the times. Um, so I don't mind. In fact, I really liked, that's when I, sorry, when I interjected before, I really liked the disparity between the two moments. I honestly thought that the the interpersonal moments, like the field trip moments and the him and MJ, which him and Zendaya have, Tom Holland and, and Zendaya have incredible chemistry, I think, uh, those moments really resonated with me. I didn't particularly care about um, any of the sort of whiz-bang uh, elemental stuff mm -hmm. uh, that people might have seen in the trailer, and I think there's a reason for that too. Um, but... Uh, the and I think even going back to before, like, is something necessary? The reason why I think this is necessary for me, you know, other than the oh, I can't wait to see where the MCU goes next. And you're right, they do save that for the very sort of it's end. the it's the last frame of the film, yep. and, and, and it's not the MCU thing that I'm thinking of. It's the Peter Parker story that happens in the very at the very end. So maybe, sorry, my order might be wrong yeah, 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 in yeah. terms of I, I think I think that the, story, what happens at the very very end frame, I was like, that's an interesting story right there. That could have been this movie. But I, so here's the thing. I think it comes down to what we find necessary or, uh, or, or why we're going to this thing. I want to see all of these characters that I like again. Mm -hmm. uh, something I have I've written down in my notes that I really enjoyed about this film was that every character, no matter how small, has one or two sort of a little bit like you get you allude a little bit back to like more of who they are than you would normally in any of these films. Like uh, his entire classmates and the teachers and like all this stuff, they all have like we hang on moments on a lot of them way longer than most movies would because they realize the strength of this is kind of in all of the characters and their interactions. Um, I I really latched onto that, and that is those are the reasons and the the sort of. I guess I'll call it the human side. I don't know if that's the best placement for it, but like the characters and what they do with them is why I wanted this. That's what it delivered, and that's why I think it felt necessary to me beyond the last couple scenes, you know, or the last two things. We're did you talking care about, about uh, Peter Parker and MJ getting together? I did because um, I did not. Here's the thing: from a narrative perspective, walking into the film, I I didn't care. Yeah. Right, and then it switched me because of it felt really real to me. It felt like. I mean, I, and maybe this is a, a, you know, just because I can relate to certain aspects of it, but like, yeah, I went on school trips and yeah, I had cr a crush on a girl and yeah, like, like the, the, it all sort of, it spoke to a lot of sort of history in my own life. Of course, not the, well, I want, maybe, who knows the, the action stuff, but the, the, it, it felt very real to me because I'd experienced things like it. And it's, I, and it's, uh, it's also, just it, let me. I'll, I'll I'll sort of finish up with this. 
if the character if the if the actors didn't do what they did with the material, it would be very easy not to care for me. I think they elevated what they were doing, and not just Tom Holland and Zendaya. I think that the entire sort of kid and teacher class elevated it. Like, for instance, I thought, and there's maybe reasons for this. Again, spoilers, we'll get to, but that um, that Nick Fury and Maria Hill like were just phoning in every goddamn scene they were in. Mm-hmm. Um, I thought that uh, you know the I think Jake Dylan Jake Gyllenhaal did do a good job. But Mysterio's a weird character mm. uh, and very tricky to pull off. So it worked sometimes and it didn't work other times. I, I was on and I thought it was necessary for the story of the kids. And and maybe not, you know what? Maybe not the actual story, yeah. but the way that the story was told to me. Okay, so so the story was, wasn't... Uh, I mean, it's it's, it's necessary, but you like the execution. I like, I think the story, again, I don't want to use the word necessary because you need that to actually have the experience I had. Mm -hmm. But uh, I mean, the story is a, is kind of a simple one. Kids Mm -hmm. go on a, on a Mm -hmm. vacation. Uh, uh, One of them likes the other one. Who knows if the other one does. There's a bunch of mishaps felt very high school movie to me, which is again, where this, this series wants to land. And I think that's good. Uh, The mishaps that sort of happen are sometimes interpersonal, silly ones. And sometimes they're giant fire monsters coming out of the ground. Like, so it, uh, yeah. that, that an interpersonal, sorry, relationship? I'm sorry. No, no, I'm saying, I'm saying, I'm saying the, the trials and tribulations that they get into or the, or the hiccups along the way of their, say, romantic journey, if that's what they're focusing on, mm. had some like normal person stuff yeah. and some superhero stuff. Okay, I think we can get into spoiler specific here because we're dancing around a lot of topics without really saying much. Um, but the, uh, the thing that I think is really. Um, you know, I, I've always kind of said, and, I, and this is not a, no, a new thought, but the, 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 you know, these films kind of hinge upon their villains. Mm-hmm. Uh, they hinge upon the villains because the villains is the existential crisis that the heroes kind of are confronted with in these films. Uh, and I thought Vulture in uh, Far From Home is a really interesting one because not just because Vulture represented um, a sort of every man in the in the wake of Tony Stark, yeah, uh, but he was also the father of uh, of uh, his, uh, of Peter Parker's love interest, and I think. You know, I, I said this at that point. I think that reveal mm-hmm. is one of the best moments I think I've seen in an MCU movie. Um, and the problem here is Mysterio's wants and uh, and needs. So Mysterio essentially, obviously, you know, a, as a spoiler here, um, uh, turns out to be uh, a disgruntled uh, Stark employee, uh, which is a which is a narrative we've seen many times before. It's uh, Obadiah Stone. Stain. Uh, uh, Stain. Uh, Ivan Vanko was, uh, uh, you know, in some way scorned by Tony Stark. His father, yeah. Uh, Justin Hammer is someone who's been scorned by Tony Stark. Vulture is. Uh, you know, like, it's a narrative that we've seen so many times before, and it's kind of replayed here in a way that I, when the reveal came through, I was like, oh, okay, okay, that's what we're doing with this. I guess we've done this before, and I'm, I'm not that, you know, because in in the comic books, Mysterio is a criminal who's a special effects person. Yeah. Who, who basically is just using his special effects skills to commit crimes, <laughs> which is <laughs> which is ridiculous, but it's like you know at least I kind of I get it. Um, in, mean, in this in this he is ostensibly trying to get the Edith technology, yeah, or or wanting to 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 reinherit what he had lost from Tony Stark. But oddly, I was like, he's kind of you know his 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 power of the elementals or the the way he kind of does that, yeah, or means he's already kind of there. like I I was uncertain what Edith gave him other than reclaiming his historical past uh edith gave him literally the power to uh be the next 
perceivably, because Mysterio is all about misdirection, yeah. gave him the power to be uh, the next seen, as, seen as the next Iron Man. And but, but he back... already was? Like, he'd already kind of fought the fire elemental before he got Edith? The, uh, so there's a couple... I mean, if you want to get into the, what I think of the flaws of the Mysterio story arc, I yeah. mean, these are the small ones. I'll give you a large one. Um, and actually, Jamie called this out, and I was like, oh, fuck, that's true. So here we go. We, have, we cut back to, like... And it, well... I'll I'll get there eventually. The scene that we're talking about is once it's revealed, like you know, that throughout the entire film, uh, Mysterio comes and fights these elementals and is like kind of working with Nick Fury, and they meet Spider-Man and becomes a sort of a you know a very forced surrogate father figure, even with the beard, and he puts on the glasses yeah, and thing, and like yeah. there's actually a legitimate like I think both. Jake and Tom did great in those scenes together, but there was always something that fell a little bit flat for me in the first. Um, the first couple of times, the first I think I think the narrative kind of like gives you an excuse to kind it of does. let it go. And I don't know this is, but I, I still didn't think it worked. I wonder. Yeah, that's I, that feels to me like it's almost like a. F- a, a, a failing forward or like an accidental success in a way because like the Mysterio elemental fights like they look neat but they also look kind of janky and you're they, like they and, are the worst sense of spectacle I think I've seen in an MCU movie yeah and, but then because it turns out to be all holographic technology you can kind of narratively hand wave it away but that didn't stop me from the fact of when I was watching those scenes I was like eh Right, it, like, it's, not, it's not just that. It's not just Mysterio. Like, there's no commentary about it, and and it's not just that Mysterio's elementals look bad. It's that Spider-Man looks bad in those scenes, and like everything. Oh, I didn't think that everything around those I scenes. I Mysterio looks kind of dumb. No, I think I, to me the the visual effects around all of those scenes looked pretty bad. Oh, and, did and, you see it in RPX? In I did see it in RPX. Yeah, and and you know, for example, Spider-Man hopping over those like pylons that are in the water, and and I like, actually it, thought that looked really good. I thought that looked pretty pretty awful green screen uh, work, and 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 I think everything around the the sort of scale of things that they're trying to do here are amongst the the sort of, I guess the best way I would try to phrase it, the most video game looking and video game in, in the sort of worst possible way. Um, and I, you know, I think the, 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 the hand waviness is the spectacle that you can kind of say, well, Mysterio is kind of putting this on, but there's no commentary about that. No one's ever like saying, didn't the waters kind of feel weird or anything like that? The only, only since we get, the, the only way we reveal this is MJ, Ste- you know, gets one of the projectors and that's the only way anyone ever notices right. that this isn't real. No one's ever saying, oh, that looked a little weird or anything like that. So there's no commentary it about it. It does not do the switch well. No, and I so I I found that the 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 spectacle of it was kind of flawed and bad. I I also found what Mysterio wants post getting Edith to be really confusing. Well, so there's for, a couple for, for there's a couple, narrative scenes. Yeah, you know? there's a, so so just going back to um, and we will get there. Uh, going back to the um, the the pro- what the the big problem with Mysterio even after they get Edith and he gives his like fun little speech to his like group. Mm. And what here's the thing. I love that group dynamic. Like we talked about how like there's been uh, stark, uh, uh, disgruntled ex-employees. Yeah, this was like they they basically did a callback to like a couple of them, which like minor little characters, which was very very fun to me. Mm-hmm. I thought that made it a little bit more fresh. And to pull something like this off, it can't just be one person. It has to be like a team of people, because otherwise, I mean, it's just too. He even says at one point, "I'm trying to fool seven billion people." Like you you can't do that on your own. Basically, I guess without magic. So. So that's cool. But here's the thing. We see that thing when uh, we it's a hark back to, I believe, Civil War when Tony invents Barf. Yeah. Uh, and then it turns out that that was Quentin Beck's technology and he renamed it Barf and he was pissed and like zooms out and you see him. So here's a question and you might be able to hand wave this away. 
uh, due to another spoiler that you find out near the end of the film uh, that Maria Hill and Samuel Jackson are not actually Maria Hill and Samuel Jackson. They are Skrulls, that one of them is Talos from Captain Marvel. Um, and uh, basically, you would think that Quentin Beck, right, an ex-Stark employee, if he went to Nick Fury, the top cop, mm. would know, oh, like, look him up at least on mm. this planet. Yeah. Yeah, the, the the sort of the narrative of like he comes from another planet seems to be just sort of given. Yeah, in the... and it's funny. Again, I go back to the the this movie does a lot of things where it sets you up and you think things are dumb and stupid, like character motivations or the way that the spectacle looks, and then you know narratively the fact it looks like that it makes sense but they never actually mention it in the narrative yeah uh so that does have some <laughs> some moment breaking stuff yeah and i you know i just couldn't get on board uh with like so uh, you know uh, positives i will say is uh, like, i like i think mysterio's um sort of um, double-blind uh, mind-tricking of Spider-Man when he's kind of going into that world and, yep. and, like, you know, really messing with Spider-Man's head. I think that's kind of when I started clocking into, like, oh, this is what Mysterio is capable of doing, yep. and I like it here far more than I think the elemental stuff. Oh, 100%. Right? I know? mean, it's just, it's way more interesting because that's, like... It's about Spider-Man. Yeah. It's about his character. It's about things that actually relate to him. Um, so I think, actually, that stuff kind of worked and worked really well. And I was like, oh, okay, if this is what we're going to do from here, from here on I'm in but that's not really what the film does from here on in he suddenly goes back into like doing another elemental strike on London yeah and, he needs and, to do it, 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 and, and I'm not sure why he needs he to needs do. an uh, Avengers level threat basically but, isn't like uh, the the elementals attacking three countries in in Europe uh, Mexico Austria and uh, uh, where was the third country they went to? I can't remember. But but the attacking three three countries there isn't. And, and he's also kind of proven himself as a hero. I was I was uncertain what his game was at this point. I and, think and and like it, it's kind of fueled by this idea that he needs to kill uh, Spider Man and and the three students that know about him. And, and he also like, like kind of doesn't want to, but he's a little bit broken, so he doesn't care that he doesn't want to. But it's also like but but just a quick question there as well is that we've kind of established that Edith can do tactical strikes anywhere so why does he need, like the the sort of if if the re so i don't think this is the case but if the reason to do the london attack was a smoke screen to do the the kill that seems weird i don't think it is but then the reason to do the london attack at all seems weird like it, it seems like it serves no purpose he wants something because again before it was like the size of like a city block though granted like it went through again I, i'm not saying mysterious plan popped up on a a, a planet uh, you know in a country that seems pretty. It does. His plan does start to fall apart by the end. I think because he's just trying to get it bigger and bigger. Yeah. And I don't. I think again that I think that sort of goes to a bit of a megalomania, but it's not entirely it, set up it, it properly. To, it speaks to me for spectacle for the sake of spectacle, and I think but that could be an interesting narrative if they went that way because he is all about spectacle yeah like and that's what a, he he's wants a, he's almost like a theater performer you know like i love that scene where he's he's directing he's directing the scene and he's kind of talking about oh we need you know 25 percent more damage yeah like that. i think that's i think that side of mysterio is kind of interesting but but the the purpose of the london tower attack seemed entirely like lost on me like i was like i just wasn't in the as I was watching, I was like, I don't know what the purpose of this is, and it just feels like we're doing kind of a third act destruction for no reason. No, I'll agree with that. I think, um, but I, I, you know what's interesting too? I don't. While that is entirely true, in the moment of the films, 
I both times I didn't care. Right. Like I was still on board for sort of the fun of it, and I did want to see like for the first time I want to see how he ends up beating Mysterio. For the second one, I wanted to see sort of some intricacies of those scenes, or just kind of like see if I could focus in on like some other cool stuff. Like I thought that the weirdly enough, the, uh, and you you might have the answer to this too, the choreography of the CGI. Mm-hmm. Is it still called choreography at that point, depending on what the scene is? Like, sure. um, I thought was really impressive, both in the the dream sequences, the two of them, the one at the end specifically where he uses his spider sense to get through the hallway with the drones. Like, mm-hmm. I just really liked the movement, and like, there's there's a lot of like, it's not just him owning it; like, he's still getting hit. There's moments where like the the planning of that was just that one hallway shot. I really enjoyed. Also, when he's fighting the the the, uh, the ton of drones around the bridge. Well, I do think again the narrative of why Mysterio's doing it is cloudy at best. Mm-hmm. Um, like his mask. Yeah. Uh, the uh, the choreography and the way that they chose to have Spider-Man take out a bunch of drones was always interesting to me. Because mm-hmm. at the end of the day, Spider-Man can't fly. He's got webs. That's what he does. So he swings around. He did. He caught some in, in in like nets. He did a thing with like gravity where he like grabbed some, swung them around, flipped them down, and smashed them into the ground. He flipped a car and pulled a bunch of, of them like a car up at them. There was just sort of ways that the mechanics of the fight. So you enjoyed the spectacle. I enjoyed. Yeah, I, I mean, I guess yeah. I enjoyed that part of the spectacle. The I think the I, you're 100 percent correct with the last elemental, and it's funny the movie itself kind of hand waves it because when Quentin Beck has been uh, maybe he's getting cocky because now he has Edith. Mm-hmm. Uh, uh, what was it? Even in death, I'm the hero. No, uh, even in death, I'm the hero. No, it, no, it wasn't even in because there's that'd be an I. <laughs> uh, I don't know. Anyway, it doesn't matter. Um, that very fun uh, acronym from Tony Stark. Uh, he like he's been so careful to this point, and maybe he's cocky because now he has the entire Stark network at his fingertips. But like he doesn't even bother to think of the story that he's going to tell Fury until he's already going. Like there's a scene he's like, "I need some dialogue," and it's played for comedy where his writers like you know yeah. speaking the lines, and then it's him speaking the lines, mm-hmm. and Fury's already been tipped off. Well, because um, no, this is the point at which uh, he's been. It's been revealed uh, that that uh, the London Tower Bridge is is fake. That's, yeah, but that, even even those lines so, so don't he does, make sense. That's why he doesn't have lines to to say. But the lines he says doesn't make sense yeah. at that moment because they're being created for him at that moment. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Be, you know, because he wasn't expecting this to happen. Yeah. yeah. Uh, and then again, the last scene, they kind of uh, do so some stuff. I think for I, to me, Mysterio could have been an interesting character, and I think an interesting sort of extension to the Avengers world because he's essentially he is speaking to the iconography of the Avengers. Yes. He's speaking to the iconography of of Tony Stark in particular. He's basically saying that um, what people want is the illusion of power, or what people want is the illusion of safety yeah. that, that Tony Stark provided. And everything in his costume, the attacks are kind of speaking to to trying to create that. The problem is, and, and I think this kind of, for me, gets into this sort of meta-narrative problem about necessary and unnecessary at this point, is that it, the spectacle for the character in this film ha- serves no purpose. You know, like he has already achieved the things that he wants. He has already become the hero, but there's no grander scheme of what he needs to in what he needs from doing the London Tower attack. And that's where this sort of sense of unnecessary comes from me, because in in my in my estimation, then it becomes this case of like the film almost doesn't know what to do a with Mysterio or with Peter Parker at this point, because the most interesting thing about 
this film to me is the reveal that Mysterio does at the end, which is that you know Spider Man is Peter Parker, but he almost he seems to do that out of spite. That is no, yeah. that's not an end game for him kind mm-hmm. of thing, and so it becomes this. Uh, and I, I think this is sort of a really fascinating. I, I, I think the idea of what Mysterio is doing is creating the illusions of spectacle, the idea that he's creating this sort of false flag attacks, and, and the, 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 the introduction of Jonah Jameson as this sort of Alex Jones-type conspiracy theorist yeah. in that world, I think that kind of points to this idea of uh, a, a post-Avengers world where everyone is able to interact with these ideas yeah. and construct them and pluck them and, and, and create them however they need. I think that's all really fascinating. I don't think this film actually does anything with those ideas. Um, and I don't think the film actually knows what to do with that idea. And that's why that end, the end for me just leaves me feeling like, oh, the most interesting thing you did here was reveal who Peter Parker was and introduce J. Jonah Jameson as this Alex Jones conspiracy. Which the theory, video game did Which the video well. game did as well. But... I, you know, my thing with the Marvel movies has always been, and I, and, I, and I will say this quite unequivocally, is that I don't think Spider-Man, Thor, Avengers, uh, Infinity War had kind of played into this problem, is this idea of teasing a better movie. And that was teasing a better movie for me. And that was not this movie. Like, if this third act was about Mysterio revealing who Peter Parker was in order to further his ideological you know, perspective or even his criminal endeavors, then I think that's an interesting sort of push of the character but ultimately once Mysterio gains Edith there's nothing for him to do and there's nothing for him for, for the, the, that this film gives him to do it, it becomes a moment of um, of just wanting of greed at the, mm-hmm. but like it doesn't you're right but, it but it, it, for what for what purpose he wants to then become like the, the number one go to person for he's already done that he hasn't though like there's still other here he basically wants to he's he, again I'm not saying mm. stop stop making faces at me I'm literally talking yeah. uh, the, I apologize for having a face <laughs> the, the he's literally trying to just like I'm not saying his plan makes sense because it doesn't I think the the third act in particular the one you have a uh, issue with I too have an issue with the motivations of Mysterio I find that London attack too unnecessary, but I think you've equivocated unnecessary of the third act with unnecessary of the entire film. I I, I would have to say if a third of the film doesn't need to be there, and again I'm not <laughs> saying that a third of the film doesn't need to be there. I'm saying the the motivation behind the last attack of Mysterio does not equal the amount of care that was given to the rest of Mysterio's art. But it points to a bigger problem, which is that they don't know what to do. Like why? What does Mysterio's arc have to do with Peter Parker? Other than all he needs is Edith. It's the it's you, you know what I mean. Like, I'm, like, good, like, I'm answering you. Okay. Like, are, if you're, are you gonna get upset because I'm interrupting you? I mean, uh, yeah, but I, 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 I you asked a question, okay, and then, let me, let me, but you can reiterate the question. Okay, no, I can I can point to a thing here. Like Batman's ideological foe is the Joker, sure. right? And the Batman, the reason Batman's ideological foe is the Joker is because the Joker is about chaos and anarchy, and Batman is about order and control. Mm-hmm. And what does Mysterio have to do with Peter Parker? Here's the interesting thing about Batman. Only about a third of his rogues villain. Well, I'm answering your question. Yeah. The Joker is 100. What you said is 100% true. What, Clayface? But Poison what, Ivy? What, do, what does Mysterio uh, have to do with Peter Parker? I, I'm getting that. What I'm saying is not every villain of a superhero is the ideological unbalancing of that character. And this, again, because Spider-Man is rolled into the MCU. I, just And I apologize for interrupting, but are you saying that Mysterio has nothing to do with Peter Parker? I'm saying I'm, I'm getting to how it does, but it's not a... It's not you. You are 100 percent correct in the disparity between Peter Parker's high school story and Mysterio existing. There's no connection there, other than Peter Parker still feels guilty about Tony Stark's death. 
he is definitely sort of in a bit of a free fall with sort of like not knowing what to do because the way the world has presented him, like, are you the next Iron Man? He doesn't want to be the next Iron Man. He knows he's not the next Iron Man. He just needs some. Nick Fury wants him to step up and all this stuff. And all he wants to do is be a fucking kid. Mysterio comes in. And again, I think it's way more effective in the first two thirds of the film comes in as another strong hero who in a certain light with the beard and the glasses has a Tony Stark vibe, has a lot of like future tech or magic or like whatever. Even when they sit on that roof, they have that moment of like, it's really nice to talk about superhero stuff. He starts to have those sort of like Tony moments he kind of had. And it turns out that it's actually just obviously a trick. The The way Mysterio, Quentin Beck connects with Peter Parker's story more than Mysterio does. And the interesting thing that I liked was in, Spider-Man is also all about making mistakes in Spider-Man or Peter Parker's quest to kind of level out what he wants to do with his life. It's akin to sort of a Spider-Man no more uh, thing, not that he's quitting, but at the same time, he wants to just go on his fucking trip. And the world, Nick Fury in particular, keeps making it so that is an impossibility. So the second that someone, and again, a, more of a father figure comes up and says like, hey, like you can live your own life, do what you want, even though it is a lie, that is the part where it ties in. And then, in the third act, which I 100% agree, it does get weirdly perfunctory, but I already care about the characters so much that I just want to see how it ends. Could it be done better the way you described uh, the if it sort of like was about revealing Peter Parker's identity? That would have been weird because he didn't really give a shit about it before. And I like that it was a moment of spite. Like it was 100 percent like a, he even says like right before it happens, like I have contingencies, yeah. um, which is a very Mysterio-esque thing to do. I think if it was set up differently and it went to that place, I think it would be better, 100 percent. But I also was already on board enough. Again, I don't think this plot is airtight. I don't think Mysterio's arc makes a ton of sense. Uh, I I do enjoy the fact that like the only reason we could have this version of Mysterio make any sense is that we have the cultural understanding of the cultural um what's the word dialogue um the 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 cinematic muscle memory if you will like oh Tony Stark made holograms so holograms exist like that's the sort of thing where because we know certain things about this universe they can do things quicker mm -hmm. uh, I think there's a plus the minus in that is that I think that sometimes when they realize they can hand wave away a couple things they hand wave away too much and the third act especially Mysterio's goal because I was trying to think about it too so he wants to become a high like and that's why I equated to greed or just wanting to be like seen as the most powerful thing. Like, okay, how does that benefit you beyond just being the thing that like Nick Fury is taking to Germany? Why, why do you need to destroy London to London Bridge or even give the impression that London Bridge was destroyed? Like, yeah. What 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 purpose does that serve? I think I I I the only reason I can answer that too is I think he just wanted to seem more and more powerful, right. which is a mysterious thing. They don't set that up that well. Yeah. But I mean, again, I don't think that. The and, and issues, the is, I guess we're sort of because we've been going for a bit, and I, I'm, you can do all your final thoughts for the end. End. Uh, I just, I'll just say the reason why I liked this movie was the interpersonal stuff that was constantly interrupted. The characters living their lives, spectacle things happening, somewhat interesting uh, interactions between uh, Peter Parker and many different characters. Mysterio's powers and powers, the the way Mysterio worked, I liked the way that they they built it, and I had a good time just watching this film. Even the second time, I was like, I thought I, I was worried I would be really bored going into it because I was like, well, I know what's happening now and the big things at the end. Uh, but even beyond the problems that I discussed, I think this is a a, a, a you know uh, a mid tier but yet super enjoyable uh, film in the MCU, and I I don't know, I dug it.
Okay. Um, yeah, I, I, I mean, for all those reasons, I think, like, saying that the third act is unnecessary, but that doesn't negate the I entire... I never said that. Didn't you just say that you I said, that, I said you, that the, his, you agreed that the third act didn't work? I, I said I agreed that, that Quentin Beck's motivations in the third act didn't work. That doesn't mean the whole third act didn't work for me, because I still enjoyed it, therefore it worked for me. Mm, I, yeah, What's you, the, you, you've used that logic game before. I, I don't think that kind of... So because I like a thing, even, even if I can notice a flaw in it, it doesn't work? Because if the if the goal of the movie is for me to enjoy the movie and I'm enjoying the movie, then it works for me, and that's not for everybody. Yeah, I can't say that. But does the movie work? Is is what I yes? Is. Because it, it the movie's goal. No, no, I think the 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 conjecture that you need there is for me, right? Like, yeah, well, I need the you, movie but, to work for me. Yeah, then sure, yeah. the yeah, movie I, works I don't, for me. I don't think the movie works for you. Sure, for then, me. Then there but we go. I, but I don't think it works. And I for and you. I, you yeah. if you're going to add that for me, you have to add that for you. Like okay. that's that's how it would go. Okay. And then for our audience, I don't think the movie is. I I really you just wouldn't think, recommend it to the I audience. Would, I wouldn't recommend yeah. it to the audience. I don't. I don't think this movie is 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 necessary. And I think saying that the third act doesn't work. Um, Again, it, I didn't it, say that. Okay, well, we can wind back the tape there. But um, saying that the third act doesn't because you you know like doesn't work means that the movie is okay. I, I think fundamentally, if the third act, if the movie doesn't land in the third act, then I think that is a that's a pretty severe problem. I'll save the rewind time. I said Quentin Beck's logic in the third act doesn't work. There's a lot more going on in the third act. You have the catharsis of all of the kids. You have Peter and MJ. You have the storyline between the fake uh, Nick Fury and all that jazz. You the have post-credit scene. No, even even when it's sort of going on in the act, in like what's happening when he figures it out with Happy Hogan. You have all his stuff. There's you have the way Peter comes to terms with Tony Stark's death and realizes that he's like not going to be this thing and he has to sort of do his own stuff. I think what you've mentioned there about Tony about Peter Parker like deciding to be the next Tony Stark, I think that is a thread that's kind of interesting. Uh, I to me it just it didn't like play as big or as connected to Mysterio's kind of third act. And that to me is the big problem. And he didn't it? he didn't the, the catharsis of the entire thing was that he was not going to be Tony Stark. He was going to do his own stuff. Like he, with he, Tony Stark's technology. Yes, and which is why which is again why that I, I brought up at the beginning one issue where he's with using that. the glove and everything. Because yeah. that was a nice callback yeah. to sort of being like, you know, him it, remembering it, it, his it feels friend. like yeah we're kind of playing in Tony we're putting Peter Parker into Tony Stark's yes. world. And that that to me just doesn't seem to land. To be honest, yeah. those stories are not my favorite Spider-Man stories. Yeah, and like it, it, it just doesn't it doesn't stuff. seem to land. And and for me, the broader issue around the MCU at this point is that is that you know they're they've they've kind of done this this larger end game, you know, so to speak. And and ultimately they're they're in a position of starting up again or figuring out what the next stage is. And this first step to me was a misstep in terms of like there was no compelling reason in the MCU world for, for, for this movie, and there's no compelling reason even in Peter Parker's world for this movie, because I think the biggest and most interesting conflict is Peter Parker being revealed as Spider-Man. And and like that to me was like the snap moment. I was like, oh, if that was the movie, cool. I'm mm-hmm. in. You know, like this thing with like whether he gets MJ or not, I'm like, again, we're kind of uh, nine movies into into you know nine movies of Spider Man being done over and over again, you know like I, I it's 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 it feels it feels old hat at this point. I and think the story does again. I think the actors and the, probably the director elevate it for me because I still had an emotional resonance to a story I'd seen nine times, probably a hundred times more in a comic book. Like it still worked. Like for me again, that's uh, the. Uh, yeah. Yeah. So it, it it doesn't work for me. Um, I I just uh, I feel like this film is 
you know, it, it's part of the worst tenets of what I've worried about with the MCU most times, which I haven't had in a long time. You know, I've enjoyed, mm-hmm. I enjoyed Homecoming. I enjoyed Thor Ragnarok. I thought Endgame was kind of a nice wrap to this whole thing. Uh, I haven't seen Captain Marvel. Um, but, but it's that sense of like making a movie for the sake of making a movie as opposed to making a movie for the sake of telling an interesting story. And I don't think there was an interesting story here. And I think there were interesting elements to the story, mm-hmm. but not, uh, not a really interesting story to, enough to like cough up 16 bucks to go to the movies for. And I, you know, ultimately, that's a real shame for me because I, I, I kind of was, was uh, hanging on for John Watts in this case. Um, I went back and watched his film uh, Cop Car before this. Oh, and, yeah. Uh, and Cop Car is really good. Cop Car is, is really, really good. Um, it, it points to like a filmmaker with a clear command of, uh, of, of narrative and story and tone. Um, and, and I, you know, he's, I think, uh, unlike, say, John Favreau, Taika Waititi, who've done like films outside of this world. He's only made two films outside of this world. And I kind of was like, I think, again, I think he did a really, really great job with Homecoming. Mm-hmm. Um, I think this film kind of points to the sense that there, there, you need to go away from this world and do something else and then come back to it when you have like a compelling reason to it. Now, and, and what that points to isn't necessarily his fault. It just feels like they had a market date. They had a you know like a post post Avengers like you know thing maybe to do with Sony what have you to release this film. But that's not a reason to go see it. And that's that's what I think about it. Is there's no reason to go see this film. Um, so yeah, uh, if you have thoughts uh, contradicting or otherwise about that, you can email us in at onlymoviepodcast at gmail or hit us up at onlymoviepod. Uh, next week we've got an interesting one coming, don't Mid-sumer. we? That is a film I'm very excited for. What I'm really worried about is being overhyped for. Hereditary was my number one film of last year. Uh, I'm I'm worried that Midsummer is going to let me down because I'm so pumped to see what this you know, filmmaker will it's, make. It's funny. I was super excited for it, and then I watched the trailer, which I know you didn't. <laughs> yeah. Uh, the and I was like, oh, so my my levels of excitement are now back to to baseline. Like I'm I'm, I'm looking forward to seeing it, no question. Yeah. Uh, but I'm definitely not like it. It for whatever reason, it's like. Well, I don't want to get into it too much. I don't want to. I don't want to poison the well. Um, but uh, I'm very interested to talk about it once we once we once see we've it. seen it. Once we actually have something yeah. to talk about. Um, uh, I guess I'll do it this week. Matt, where can people find you on the internet when uh, you're not swinging uh, into London Bridge? Oh God, I, you can see me just exploding. Uh, too many drones at m a t t h e w k r l dot com for my life and works. Also, Skeletor, the number four P R E Z on Instagram or Emperor M S K on Twitter. Also, check out the good works we're doing over on Extra Credits. Had uh had some had an interesting episode uh this week uh entitled "Stop Normalizing Nazis." Uh, you can go check that out over there. Um, yeah, Shahir, when you are not. Uh, trying to conscript my food analogies for media, mm-hmm. where can folks find you? Uh, I, didn't I introduce that food analogy? I think you did. Did, no, so. you introduced that one. I just normally, I, I'm normally the, the dummy who can't think of anything, but like, uh, like picture a hamburger. Okay. Uh, you can find me going to restaurants more than one, one time to eat everything off the menu at shahirdaud.com. That's S-H-A-H-I-R-D-A-U-D.com. Um, and uh, yeah, you'll just see me getting fat there. Oh, <laughs> oh we just gotta, gotta, we gotta go to... Uh... <laughs> Wow. If the first I was like, what's a healthy restaurant? And I was like, sweet green? Sweet green chopped. Literally like Shane's salad restaurants. Yeah, all those salad joints. Oh, God. Welcome to New York City. Uh, Well, I guess we'll see you. uh, No, you'll hear us next week uh, in the Midsummer for Midsummer. Midsummer. All right. We'll see you then. Bye. Bye.